Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your go host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. It's your time. It's your time now. You're just cheering out your time. That's fewer jokes I have to make up because you're just cheering for my wife, because she's great? I don't know, I don't get it. It's fine, it's, it's fine. fine, thank you. No, thank it you. seemed about equal. That time seemed equal, pretty close. Uh, I'm just gonna drink my white wine. It's, okay, could you please explain what you're drinking? Cause that's a weird, that's It's a white wine, not... it's white claw mixed with red wine, it's a white wine. <laughs> Can that I say this folks? That is what this, he's drinking. That's not a lie. I said this once backstage, and it made people so angry. <clears throat> it's not a white wine. Yeah, it is white clown, red wine mixed together. It's a white wine. Made people so angry that I just doubled down. I didn't even want to drink this tonight. I just wanted the opportunity to talk about white wine. Really irritate a lot of people. No, it's just the infiltration of white claw into our lives. In general, I thought it was a joke. I was like, haha, we like White Claw now. No, and now it's, a, it's like it's backstage, Good. it's everywhere, it's in our home, it's in my beer fridge. What is happening? It's just good, it's refreshing. <laughs> when you're poolside, or when you wish you were, <laughs> reach Ooh. for a White Claw. Ooh, or if you want to class it up, try and mix it in with red wine <laughs> for a white wine. So before we came, I, I asked on the show for suggestions for topics because we always like to do something that's like regionally, you know, connected, something that would be interesting to everybody who lives in whatever city we're touring in. And I got an email that said, uh, would you please talk about Viking disease? <laughs> and I said, and I thought, okay, that's perfect. First of all, that's okay, that would be great. We can talk about Vikings. Uh, and also, I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, because I'd never heard that term to refer to this particular condition. And so I thought we would talk about Viking disease, right? Because you guys like, like that's a, you guys like Vikings, right? I do like Vikings. I like well, Vikings like the regular amount. My, my, <laughs> my understanding is that that comes from like, there's a lot of, Scandinavian descent in this part of the country. Okay, so you like that that whole like Nordic vibe you're into, and so Vikings, and 
And then maybe in this, in this particular instance, you also have uh, some extra fibrous tissue <laughs> in your hand creating a contracture. It's called Viking disease. Anyway, so that's what we're gonna talk about. Not, that, that's not as like fun and sexy, but <laughs> interesting. Thank you to Mara, if you're here, for this, for this topic and for teaching me this, this name for this condition, which I never learned is Viking disease. I know about it, but I'd never heard of it as called this. Um, it's the like, last possible thing you would imagine Viking's disease being, right? <laughs> the last possible thing. I, it really, it sounds very like scary and intense, Viking disease. Like he seems like but, he loves axes so much <laughs> that we came up with a medical condition about it because he loves axes so much. What it, what it really comes down to is that it's the development of this extra kind of thick fibrous tissue and nodules in the palm of your hand. And over time, it will start to cause your fingers to contract down to where you can't bend them completely. So your hand will end up looking like this. this is, I just man, this saw great literally 20 people. Just a quick check to make sure, okay. Hand is okay, hand is fine. <clears throat> like literally well, 20 of you, and I can't see most of you. I saw 20 of you in light just like surreptitiously like, can I? Yes, okay, continue with the entertainment. There's probably one of you who's like, oh man. Ah, oh, beans. I, it's, most, it's most common with the ring finger. And I can tell you, like, it, it really is. The reason it, it has this connection, Viking disease, is because it, it, it has a genetic predisposition. And specifically in Scandinavian countries, it's much more common. And so if genetically that's where, you know, you come from, you are more likely to develop it. And I have it in my family. And so as I was doing this research, I was sitting there looking at my hand the whole time going... <laughs> Do I see, because it says at first it'll start with some puckering, and I was like, do I see any puckering? I don't, I don't, but not yet, but maybe. Um, <laughs> but in, in Scandinavian countries, it affects like 10% of men and about 2% of women. So it is, it is a pretty common thing. And so, I don't know. You might want to check your hands. Um, there are specific how's your How's your entertainment this evening? <laughs> pretty good, huh? There are some specific things that can predispose you to it. Uh, diabetes, especially type one, has been linked to this. They've also linked, um, <laughs> sure. Uh, okay, okay. Don't wanna wade too deep into the cheers for the type one diabetes. I'm assuming it's not an enthusiastic support, but maybe uh, more of an attaboy <laughs> sort of. Okay. So, <laughs> also, <laughs> type one diabetes was invented in Minnesota. So, <laughs> why do the scientists keep making it? Also, uh, smoking has been linked to it. Um, alcohol has been linked to it. Um, but we're still <laughs> we're still not entirely sure why it happens. Like I said, we know there's some genetic factors, but we don't know exactly what starts to cause it. There are some similar conditions that can occur in other parts of the body. There's something called letter hose disease, and it's the same thing in your feet, basically, same idea of like these nodules and fibrous bands and like contraction of your feet. And then there is a similar disease that can occur in the penis called Peyronie's disease. You all just laughed. <laughs> This is a medical program. 
You laughed at the mention of the word penis. <laughs> I am so disappointed. <laughs> if I have to restrain myself, you all do too. I just like the <sighs> Continue, idea. Continue, Sydney. I'm sorry <laughs> As about them. As we get to this, this has a different name that it's most commonly known by, and they're all kind of named for the doctors. The penis? No. Oh, boy. No, I got names disease. for days for that. Hold on. Get comfy. Nope, all right. Nope. This is a medical show. Third grade. These no. are the ones I learned in third grade. Here we go. Nope. We're calling it the penis. Worm. <laughs> That's the first one I knew about. Worm. I just want to know if, because like the doctor, all these different, whether it was your hand or your foot or your penis, the a different name of a Warm. different doctor is connected with each one. And I wonder if it was like a fight, like uh, who's going to get the hand, the foot, and who's going to get the penis? And everybody's like, not it. <laughs> and the one guy's like, ah, all right, payroni. <laughs> I'll get the penis. <laughs> anyway, we, you can... There has been attempts to tr like trace the origins of this condition to like the the trail of the Vikings essentially because of this like genetic connection. And so you see that it originates in Scandinavian countries but then you see it spread especially to like the United Kingdom because uh, if you if you go back to 865 what was called I love reading about these histories of the Vikings because you'll find like some historians who are like a great heathen army <laughs> descended upon England and then there are other people who are like listen they weren't that bad <laughs> everybody likes to blame them with the raids and the stuff but they were trading there were poets <laughs> calm down <laughs> Uh, they were led by, I love this, the, the pair of warrior brothers who led the, the Viking army, traders, whatever you want to call them, uh, Half Dan and Ivar the Boneless. Sorry, did you say Half Dan? Half Dan. Woof. And Ivar the Boneless. <laughs> And my boy, Half Dan. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm Ivar the Boneless. This is my boy, Half Dan. We're just going to pillage your stuff. What's up? Make sure to smash that like and subscribe button. <laughs> and then they started, like, some local rock music festivals. Right. The, the Fire town. Festival, which they spelled F-I-R-E, <laughs> and they thought was good, and everyone else thought was very bad and challenging, because so, it was at their houses. <laughs> so as, as the Vikings spread over, you know, the United Kingdom, you start to see, like, more and more incidences of uh, Viking disease among people there as, like, you know, they started living there and, like, spreading their genetic material, you know. The charming way of putting it. Go on. All over the place. Um, and so this is, where, this is where this connection comes from. It's interesting, though, because this is probably not the whole story, because as we learned more throughout the years about this particular condition, we have found that, like, for instance, there's a particularly high incidence within Japan, and there is no, like, 
Vikings spread to Japan. So obviously there are other things that can predispose to this, but this connection to like the Scandinavian origins has stuck anyway. Um, there's also a mention in some ancient, because there's been this thought like this is more of a, this, this is really the origin of this disease. But then if you go back, there's some mention in some ancient Greek texts of, a, and this is the way that they've connected it. Some sort of hand condition that seemed to get better if you had an emperor or a doctor stand on your hand. What? And there aren't a lot of things, generally speaking, contractures of hand, foot, anything really, that we treat by standing on it. Or getting a fancy person to stand on it. Yeah. These days it would be an influencer. <laughs> and this has been connected to one of the old, like, Scandinavian treatments for Viking disease was very similar. And it was said that there was, like, a rich guy was getting a foot massage. And he, and, like, the foot massage wasn't going so well. So he, so he accidentally, this is the way it's recorded, accidentally kicked the hand of the person giving him a foot massage. And it caused them a great deal of pain but then later they were like, thank you so much. My hand is fixed. <laughs> and this was the origin of like this ancient Scandinavian fix for it is like, no problem, hold still. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me kick that hand and you're good. And so that's been the thought like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's a lot more common. My uncle's the mayor. Yeah. Let me see if that's enough. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I don't know how important the city official had to be. <laughs> right. Like the county commissioner, county commissioner the dog catcher, yeah. I don't know. Um, as it spread, especially throughout Great Britain, it was known by different names. And like for a while, you'll, you'll hear certain parts of the world where they kind of refer to it as like Celtic hand. And it has this really strong connection with that part of the world, even though it, it very clearly has these roots in Scandinavia. Um, and then another, my favorite name for it is the curse of the McCrimmons. <laughs> <laughs> So this traces back to 15th century Scotland and the origin of this, because they have their whole own like kind of mythology as to where this condition came from. And it says that, that a long time ago in Scotland, the chieftains of the island of Skye were Clan MacLeod. Yes, but here we are, <laughs> born to be king. That's why they're so good at holding swords. It all makes sense. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this live episode of Sawbones. I uh, just want to take a brief moment to tell you about our sponsors for this week. Uh, so first up, we have Stitch Fix. Uh, I feel like we've talked about Stitch Fix so many times. You must be well acquainted. But if you have not given it a whirl, Think about your own personal style. Maybe if you're anything like me when I started using Stitch Fix, you don't really have a sense of it, uh, and that's okay. Stitch Fix is here to walk you through the entire thing to find out your vibe, what looks good on you, what you love wearing. They deliver your favorite clothing brands right to your door. You tell them your, you know, your measurements, uh, your preferences, how much you want to pay for certain items. Like, I'd never pay $100 for a shirt. No way, Stitch Fix. And they'll... They understand. They get it. $100 shirts aren't for everybody. And uh, they'll, they'll put together a box of clothes that uh, they hope will fit you 
perfectly. The stuff that you love, you keep. The stuff you don't love, you ship back with no charge for shipping or exchanges or returns or any of that stuff. Uh, and over time, your stylist is going to get to know you. They're going to get to know your uh, style even better. Uh, and the experience is just going to get better and better. So uh, give it a whirl right now. I think you'll really enjoy it. You can go to stitchfix.com slash sawbones, and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash sawbones, stitchfix.com slash sawbones. We also want to tell you about DoorDash. Um, this is a personal uh, favorite of ours, one that has been a lifesaver so many times when you don't have a plan for dinner and you don't have time, anything to cook, you don't have time to cook, uh, whatever it is, or you just got a craving and you like don't want to leave the house. It's so cold. Uh, DoorDash to the rescue. They connect you with your favorite restaurants in your city. You just open the app, you pick the food you want to eat, and they deliver it right to you. Uh, they deliver in all 50 states and Canada from uh, local go-tos or choose from uh, national restaurants like Chipotle and Wendy's and uh, the Cheesecake Factory. So don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SAWBONES. $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app and use the promo code SAWBONES. And uh, with that complete, let's uh, get back to the show. But second to the chieftains were their pipers, and that was the McCrimmons. Oh, and so, that's so, less cool than the Highlanders, but go on. <laughs> so my, I, I, my understanding is that if you were a McCrimmon, then it was expected you would play the bagpipes. I don't think you got, like, a choice. This was just this, you have, you've been born into the McCrimmons, you will play the pipes now. And this worked out It's like out that great. for us in podcasting, actually. <laughs> it's very sad. I didn't choose this life. So this worked out great for the McCrimmons for a long time, and then a curse arose to stop them from being the official pipers of the Island of Skye forever. Um, and there are a lot of different stories, as you would expect, because it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of folklore, as to exactly what this curse was about. Um, it's either that there was a widow whose only son was taken by the press gangs, which were like people who were like forcing, they were like drafting you into the military, but like not, it was like forced. So like, no, you're drafted. We just took you. We stole you. You're drafted. So that maybe she put a curse on the family of the McCrimmons. Um, there's a whole other story about uh, a woman who taught her piping, the family piping secrets. <laughs> to someone else, the McPhersons, and she was punished by removing some of her fingers, and so then she put a curse on the McCrimmons family forever for punishing her, for teaching the piping secrets. One way or another, there was a curse. It's made up. <laughs> there was a curse put on the McCrimmons that they would no longer be the official pipers of the Island of Skye, and the result was that all the pipers in the McCrimmons family slowly had their hands curled in into claws and they never piped again. And so in certain parts of Scotland, this is called the curse of the McCrimmons if you have Viking disease. Um, that is probably not the medical origin of this condition. <laughs> Agree to disagree. Uh, it's, when, I, when I do these shows, because I had, like I said, I'd already heard of this condition by a different name. And so as I'm setting this up in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'll wait and reveal it 
later in the show because it's like a surprise. Except it occurred to me that like it's really only interesting for me. And there are going to be a handful of people in the audience who are going to go, I knew that's what it was, but not very many. <laughs> but I'll still enjoy it. So This thank is you. Sid's version of 90s kids will love this one. The name that I learned for this condition we go. was not Viking disease. Oh my gosh, here comes the twist. <laughs> it was Dupuytren's contracture. I knew there would be a handful. Some of you are faking it and that's cool. I get it, welcome to my squad. <laughs> for, for Dr. Dupuytren, also Baron Dupuytren. He was a Baron as well as a doctor. Baron Dupuytren you... definitely sounds like a JRPG villain, 100. <laughs> Thousand percent. I don't know which one you go with. If you're a doctor and a baron. Doctor Baron Dupatrin. Doctor Baron Dupatrin. Hundred percent. Excuse me. That's Doctor Baron Dupatrin. Uh, and as many as many scholars have pointed out, even though it is most associated with him, and that was certainly the name that I was taught in school, was Dupatrin's. Uh, it is, he was not the first doctor to describe this condition. Um, you can go back and find mentions of this initially from a doctor. Felix Platter, who we, but we don't call Platter's disease, uh, from Switzerland, Switzerland in 1614. And he was the first one to actually describe it and talk about some different ways to fix it. And he described it, which I really like, as uh, the, your hand will have tendon-like crispiness. <laughs> Ew. So you get crispy hands. So he was probably the first, he was the first one to describe it. And then in the late 1700s, we had a British doctor, Dr. Henry Klein, who described it again and wrote about it and, and went into some possible treatments for it and tried to say like, this could be called Klein's contracture. And everybody was like, meh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Sounds good to me. I don't like that. And then one of his students who like studied under him and went on to continue his works and wrote extensively about the contracture itself and also uh, some surgical procedures that he tried to fix it to like cut through the fibrous tissue and release it so that you could you know open up your hand again. Uh, Dr. Astley Cooper, he wrote about it and then he said, you know what we could call it, Cooper's contracture will be a pretty cool name for this. I'm writing a huge treatise on it. I'm publishing books about it. I'm doing this procedure. I'll even give my mentor some credit and we could call it the Klein Cooper contracture. That's hard to say, I don't like that one. Which is a lot of names. Um, but again, it didn't really seem to catch on. None of these names. Until 1831, there was a Frenchman Dr. Baron Dupatrin, who is a pretty famous surgeon already in his own right. He was a surgeon to Napoleon. He actually took care of his hemorrhoids. Wow. So you know, I mean, he trusted him with his hemorrhoids. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and he was Which the... Which were especially bad after he ate the Ziggy Piggy, as everybody <laughs> knows. <laughs> thank you. I, I enjoyed that. Just thank for you, you Sid. Yeah, thank you. And he was, he was kind of a controversial figure in surgical history. I, I started reading about, all I knew about this guy is that there's a contracture named after him. I figured he was a doctor. And so as I started reading about Dr. Dupuytren, uh, he, was, he was very much lauded for his skill. He was a very talented surgeon, but his personality apparently left something to be desired. And I think this probably plays into how this guy ended up with all the credit. Um, he was described as a square, solid man with a high-domed head. He was critical of all those around him. He had few friends. 
Uh, he was called the greatest of surgeons, the meanest of men. <laughs> and the, uh, when, after, after he died, the Boston uh, Medical and Surgical Journal published sort of like a eulogy about him. And it's the most interesting, I would say honest, account <laughs> attempting to celebrate the life of someone because they talk about how the contempla contemplation of his features left a je ne sais quoi impression <laughs> on the feelings even of the most acute physiognomists, half pleasurable and half dissatisfied. <laughs> a sensation at once of admiration and dislike for which it was found impossible to account. Uh, it was said that he had, that he had uh, very few friends and no one really knew him, but he was a great surgeon, and he was really good at getting things named after him. <laughs> so he, drawing upon these works uh, of physicians before him, Klein and Cooper, he gave a lecture about this condition, about the contracture, and he said, I am the first one to attempt to fix it, and I can. And back, back at this time, we didn't have anesthesia, so the fix for it was pretty brutal, but if you could withstand it, he could cut open the patient's hand and release that band of tissue. Basically, that's all he was doing, was just cutting through it or cutting it out, and that would fix it if you could survive the surgery <laughs> and the ensuing infection, which was certain to follow. If you could, he could probably return function of your hand. And so, and he, and he even said, he, in his work he went on to say, those Klein and Cooper guys, they said it couldn't be cured. They probably didn't say that. It was a complete never. lie. It'll never be cured. It was a complete lie. They had written about how to fix it. Uh, but everybody went, yes, this seems right. We shall call it Dupuytren's contracture. And I mean, he did, he did pretty well for himself. He would go on to have 12 different like diseases and fractures and operations and instruments and things named after him over time. Uh, so Dupuytren is the name that we remember and associate with this disorder because of that. He, uh, his most famous work though is called A Treatise on Artificial Anus. <laughs> you know it better as Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> But the thing I know him for is the contracture, so. Uh, some other interesting points about Dupuytren's, because as I read about it, it has, maybe because we still don't quite understand the whole like pathophysiology, why does it happen, and exactly how can we predict who's going to get it and who's not. Um, there's all this kind of interesting like mythology and folklore around it. Uh, one thing is that it's thought that James Barry had this. There's some documented evidence that he may have, and it was the inspiration for Captain Hook. He wrote Peter Pan. So it's the inspiration for Captain Hook was that his hand was kind of curled into a hook. Um, there's also been some suggestion that what is called the hand of benediction, which is like this number, <laughs> I know, may be the result of a pope long ago who had Dupuytren's. If and you're listening just... to the audio version of this, Sydney has curled her pinky and ring finger and uh -huh. has extended her middle and index finger in a sort of, I'm benediction. a Baptist, <laughs> I don't know, like a Catholic. Peace sign, I don't know what that is, but I'm assuming 
there has been there has been suggestion like do you think maybe there was a pope who had dupatrins and this is just what he could kind of manage <laughs> and now we're like blessing hand benediction hand <laughs> and this went further this theory which was kind of explored like i don't know and i mean it's really it's only just kind of tossed out there in in any history of dupatrins is like i don't know maybe that, wouldn't that be cool i don't know i didn't really i don't really know i don't really know what pope it might have been or when or if that happened but it would be a cool thing there are some scholars who have taken this even further and said well now if we're going to go down that road it probably doesn't originate with a pope or with christianity at all it probably originates with the hand of Sabazios, which was an ancient pagan god of like the Phrygians and the Thracians, who was sort of similar to what you think of like the Greek god Dionysus, like the god of like fertility and like fun times. And you can find these old statues that are just hands, and they're all like this. They're all that same, that hand of benediction or whatever, of Sabazios. And it, the thought is like, why was it like this? And there's this whole theory people have developed as like, well, we used to take uh, like things about humans that we admired and attribute them to gods. And if you had dupatrins way back in the day, you, were, you had lived longer, because it is a disease that tends to have older onset, you'd lived longer than everybody else. So already everybody's like, you must be holy. You've lived so much longer than the rest of us. <laughs> because we didn't have vaccines when you still lived and <laughs> you must, there must be something holy <laughs> about you. And so that this, that there was some old guy with Dupatrins and he would go like this and they were like, that must be a God thing. <laughs> and so they made statues of Sebasios's hand like this. And then somebody was like, hmm, that seems like a good thing for Christianity to also adopt, so we'll just do this thing. And then a pope was like, oh, I like that, that's pretty cool. I like that move. I can't believe, folks, we finally found it. Something <laughs> that Christianity appropriated from paganism. And there's this whole theory that it all originated with just some guy who just managed to live a long time back when it was hard to do that. <laughs> who had dupatrins. I don't know. I, I always just thought it meant the Holy Trinity. But <laughs> in either way, it's an interesting story. Um, the treatment now that we have, because over time we've tried a lot of different things. Like I mentioned, the idea that you could just kind of go in and maybe cut that tissue is very old. Um, pretty early on we thought, well, that seems like the simplest solution. And we were kind of right, except anesthesia has helped with that a lot. <laughs> Uh, we have tried injecting all sorts of different things. We don't really recommend uh, standing on your hand, uh, not a doctor or anyone else, or any sort of like violent action towards the hand in general. Um, like I said, Dupatrin's patients, they would knock out with a couple bottles of wine. Uh, we don't use that for anesthesia anymore. Uh, and we have tried some things like some enzymes and things to inject in there to try to kind of break up the tissue or dissolve the tissue with not, not really great results. There's still some research ongoing. We've tried things like steroid shots that can help a little bit. But again, uh, and you'll find some wild things out there now, like there is a homeopathic remedy <sighs> called Scar-X uh, that will not work because homeopathy is fake. So, so don't do that. Um, 
but the mainstay now is is a surgical is a surgical treatment, and there are different ways they can do that, where they can either like cut the tissue or remove some of the tissue. They're trying some things with just a needle, so they can be less invasive. And the test to see if you you know if you start to see like the the usually the first indication is like a little nodular kind of area at the base of your ring finger. If you're worried about this, the test to see like do I need surgery? Is this really a problem? Is it's <laughs> it's the tabletop test where we have you put your hand on a tabletop. His doctors aren't always creative. And, and you just put your hand on the tabletop. I'm going to call can, it Dubitrin's test. <laughs> if you can flatten it out, you're good. If you still can't flatten out those fingers, you might be a candidate for surgery. Uh, and I worry about this because my grandpa has it. So maybe I'm next. My grandpa Dan. Yeah. Well, uh, here's hoping. I don't know what to <laughs> Like, I have a general anxiety disorder. I'll just add that to the pile, I guess, Sid. It's Thanks. okay. It's okay. It tends to be, please don't worry. I know that m maybe many of you are of Scandinavian origin. <laughs> I don't know how many. There's no way of knowing how far the Vikings spread. But <laughs> uh, do not worry. It is a condition that is considered, I mean, it is fairly benign. It's not particularly, it can be uncomfortable. It's not horribly painful. And it is treatable. So okay. please don't stress. But now you know, and it is Viking disease. Um, thank you so much for having us here, Minneapolis. We appreciate you so much. Um, did everyone take a moment to enjoy my wife's shirt? It is a shirt about vaccines. You can find that at McElroyMerch.com. Proceeds from that go to the Immunization Action Coalition. Now, I have a very exciting a bit of uh, 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 news for you. The head of that organization, Deborah Wexler, is here with us tonight in this audience. Where are you? Deborah, if you could just raise your hand so I can see where you're at. Okay. There she is. Deborah Wexler, ladies and gentlemen, a true hero of science. Dr. Wexler is a wonderful organization where they help spread information about vaccines to both uh, practitioners and patients so that we can get like the good news that vaccines are safe and effective and save lives out yeah. there. So um, support that wonderful organization. That, we also have a pro-vax pin, which also goes to the IAC. You can get with that mm -hmm. at macroymerch.com. Thank you to uh, the Orpheum for having us here in this beautiful historic theater. It is awesome. Um, thanks to Paul Saboran over there on the ones and twos. Um, and, uh, oh, uh, my brother, my brother, me is gonna be up after intermission. If you have a question that you'd like to ask us for that show, uh, email it to live at mbmbam.com. Include your name and seat number in the subject line, and then a one sentence question that you'd like to ask, and we'll bring some of you up during that show. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of our song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to Maximum Fun for having us part of their extended podcasting family. And thanks to you. Thank you. For being here and for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. <laughs> <laughs>